0: Hello and welcome back. After a much needed hiatus, life has been happening very, very quickly all over these parts. I am glad to be back and recording. It has been a journey indeed, but we are here with chapter five, part three of the Memoirs of a Nigerian in Christ podcast. Chapter 5 is Mayhem and Motherhood, and this is Part 3. Enjoy. In 2014, I started praying that God would give me a burden for my sisters who were dealing with infertility, child loss, or miscarriage. To be honest, I knew absolutely nothing about what it felt like to endure such a valley, and I felt ill-equipped to comfort anyone who has endured that kind of hardship. Unbeknown to me, several women in my life were enduring the secret pain of not having their long-hoped-for children in their arms, but they did not feel safe to share their journeys. I naively assumed that any of my married friends who did not have children simply did not want any yet, but it was not my place to question their decisions. Quick trigger warning, the following passages deal with miscarriage. The first time my eyes were open to the pain of trying to conceive or keep a child alive in the womb or having to bury a child at or after birth was when one of my best friends and I were pregnant within a couple of months of each other. We were elated at the opportunity to experience both our second pregnancies at the same time. We talked talked about it every day and shared symptoms. It was a magical time in our friendship. The magic turned to heartbreak when she began miscarrying the child they had waited and prayed for i was heartbroken and speechless we had prayed fasted and begged god to keep her child and god still took their sweet baby to heaven i knew i did not have the words but i refused to let fear of saying the wrong thing make me retreat from the woman i love i sat with her in the darkness we spent hours on the phone not saying much, but being in each other's presence. We text, and even when I did not have words, I had prayers, and I told her constantly that she was remembered in my prayer. We wept together. Even in her own despair, she always rejoiced with me as my baby flourished in the womb and then made his appearance into the world. The experience of watching my sister endure and grasp for healing after losing her child left me eternally changed after that the Lord began to open my eyes to more women in my life who were enduring a similar pain women who had been married for years without children and not because they did not want or desire children some had suffered miscarriage some were experiencing unexplained infertility and at least three lost children during labor and delivery when I counted It was about 15 women in my village enduring this pain. I had not seen them before because my eyes were simply not open to their heartbreak, and my heart was oblivious to their pain. Once the Lord opened my eyes to see beyond my assumption that everyone who wanted children could have them, I began to pray. The Holy Spirit taught me that I did not always have to have the right words to say. I could be loving in my silence and allow my presence to speak my love for them. Above all else, I was there to let them know that they were not forgotten, not by God and not by me. Sometimes we speak of motherhood as if it is a given. It is a spoken expectation that yes, after you get married, you will have children. Many women, like me, go into marriage with that same expectation, that they will soon be mothers as soon as they are ready. When the pieces do not fall into place as we have been told to believe they would, the results are not only heartbreaking, They change your entire worldview. A woman living with infertility may start to feel like she is the broken piece of the puzzle and the reason her family cannot add the children they so desire. Unfortunately, the way we believers talk about infertility often blames the women who are enduring it. Words like maybe God doesn't want you to have children or have you considered adoption when the couple has not confided in you about their plans or what are you guys waiting on? And all mentions of biological clocks can drive a nail into an already bruised heart. Honestly, what is going on in people's bedrooms and bodies is none of our business. As a Nigerian, I have had to openly repent to my friends and acquaintances who were newly married for a common saying among Nigerians. It is not out of the ordinary for a toast or prayer at a Nigerian wedding to include the words, quote, in nine months, we will come back to do your baby shower or baby dedication. As soon as you say the words, I do, everyone is watching for telltale signs of pregnancy. Who wants to live under that kind of pressure? Not I. When these expectations of love marriage then baby carriage are not met or realized, the newly wedded couple that should still be in the honeymoon phase are inundated with prying questions and curious stares. I have literally sent my friends at their wedding or shortly after it. We're expecting a baby shower soon, so hurry up. What I meant as a joke could have done unintended damage to any of my loved ones who were trying but unable to conceive. Our culture as Nigerians encourages this kind of intrusiveness into the bedrooms of married adults. If you are married for more than a year with no children, do not be surprised when older Nigerians and pastors begin using you as a prayer point. Whether you confide in them or not, they will pray that God opens your wombs and blesses you with twins and triplets. God forbid you are a married woman and have decided not to give birth to children, you will be treated as a freak of nature. Marriage was for children and anyone who was married and childless was doing it wrong. For a culture that values fertility so much, Nigerians do a bad job of weighing the facts in a scientific manner. If a couple is not getting pregnant, it is always the woman's fault. There is never any discussion about what role the man plays in their infertility. Things like low sperm count, male infertility, and impotence are never part of the discussion. It is the woman. The woman must have done something. Some wicked mother-in-law would, whose sons are married without children are even known to threaten their daughters-in-law for not producing an heir. As if having children is as simple as just wishing them into existence. Some parents will encourage their male children to step out of their marriage to give them grandchildren completely oblivious to the fact that it is the man who is unable to father a child. Some manipulative faith leaders and false prophets will extort hundreds of thousands of dollars from desperate couples under the guise of special prayers, anointed cloths, and holy oil, all designed to give the couple their miracle child. I believe if we as a culture have not equated childlessness to the biggest shame of any couple, Those who seek to manipulate the vulnerable would not have that much of a leg to stand on. Nigerians, much like the Israelites of old, often see barrenness as God's punishment or the devil's oppression. As a married woman, you must give birth, by any means necessary. I have heard the stories of some women who could not get pregnant with their husband, likely due to his own undiagnosed fertility issues, stepping out of their marriage to get pregnant, then passing off the children as their husbands. Many such lives have been destroyed by mandatory DNA testing. The truth does not come to light until the fathers are required to attest to the paternity of their children, supposedly born out of their marriage, only to find out that their DNAs do not match. Unfortunately, the shame and reproach of being married without children has driven many to desperate and ungodly means to become, "yeah, so-and-so, For any woman still believing God for the child of your dreams, please know that God sees you. He mourns with you when you are mourning and he rejoices with you when your good news comes. He is waiting always with open arms to love you as his daughter. God is not mad at you and you are not being punished. I pray that in the fullness of time, the God of heaven who gives only good gifts will cause you to laugh with joy like Sarah of the Bible. May you hold your own Isaac in your hands soon and very soon. Amen. I pray Psalm 126 verse 5 and 6 over you now and declare that those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. As much as I desired motherhood, I never gave much thought to who I would be parenting. I figured I would know how best to raise my kids. Once I actually met them, and I am so glad I kept an open mind because my kids are not only different from each other, they are different from my expectation. Any expectation I had of what it would mean to raise young men. I always assumed I would have at least one girl and one boy, just like my mother. But the Lord saw fit to give me two boys, almost exactly two years apart, and I knew that I was in for the adventure of a lifetime. My first son, whom I proudly called Munchkin, was such an easy baby. He only cried when he needed something. He took to breastfeeding right away. He would let others hold him or take care of him. He slept in his own crib from day one until he was six months old, and he was a genuinely happy and easygoing baby. I always say that God gave me the courage to try again. For all of his easygoing nature, he was and is a big personality. He likes people and always wants to make his presence known. He makes friends everywhere he goes, and he is extremely bright. He learned the basics he needed for preschool, letters, numbers, shapes, and colors within the first year of his life without any formal teaching, and he has been interested and engaged in school ever since. When he turned two, his personality became headstrong. He was still a generally happy child, but whenever he did not get his way, we saw a different side of him. I was days away from giving birth to our second son, and my firstborn had me fearful that I was in over my head. Our secondborn is a personality unlike any other I have ever seen in a baby. He was happiest at home. He did not like being out in public or in crowds. He did not do well with strangers or groups you only got to experience his personality one-on-one. Anywhere else we were, people were convinced he did not smile, which was a total lie. Thank you very much. I called him the professor because he was such an old soul. He has the facial expression and manners of somebody's grandpa, and as he grew, he developed the language of someone much older as well. He uses complex language skills from the age of one and I would often watch him in amazement trying to decipher where he learned all the things that he knew. My two boys are drastically different, but they both have big personalities. After we had our second son, our family felt complete. The desire to have a girl did not return for many years. Even now, it is not much of a deep want as it is a fancy, a passing thought. And a passing fancy is not enough for me to commit to expanding our family even though I am very much open to it. My kids are high energy and highly emotional. I do not think they are abnormal in this regard, but when some parents talk about their children entertaining themselves quietly as the parents worked or relaxed, I do not relate. I have learned not to compare my journey with other moms, but it took a while to fully grasp that that each kid is different. My kids are so attached to me. Even when their father is present, I am always the preferred parent. It may be a natural consequence of being their primary caregiver, but having them refuse to solicit help from other available adults, even when others are closer and more conveniently reached than I am, means that I am never truly off the clock. As I write these passages, I have changed locations twice, trying to find a quiet corner to gather my thoughts. My kids keep finding me, climbing all over me and insisting on maintaining physical contact with me at all points. Meanwhile, their dad has been lying down uninterrupted on the couch for several hours. I try to cherish the time with them this little, but I will be lying if I did not say, this is hard. I recently discovered that I am a highly sensitive person or HSP meaning I have deep thoughts and process things on a deeper level than those who may not be highly sensitive. From the Unapologetically Sensitive podcast hosted by Patricia Young. It also means I am sensitive to crowds, loud noises, or touch from, say, rough fabric or hands. Because of my sensitivities, I do not like being constantly touched. Someone running their hands over my skin for long periods of time makes me feel like I am experiencing sensory overload. It is overwhelming, and I try to stop it as soon as possible. Well, my children's favorite way to wind down for sleep is by rubbing my skin with their little hands in continuous motion until they drift off. And if I happen to fall asleep beside them, they will reach over and repeat the motion during their sleep cycle throughout the night. The sensation wakes me up and makes it impossible for me to fall asleep. It is a big pet peeve. And I find myself snapping at them or yanking their hands off of me as they try to use me as a human plushie. Who knew having children meant giving up the right to say the words, I do not want to be touched right now. Because for some reason, telling them not to touch me makes the situation worse than simply gritting my teeth and enduring being bombarded with touch at every turn. As my children have grown and their personalities are more solidified I am surprised to discover that the amount of guilt I feel in raising them has increased. Because I know that we are currently creating their first set of long-term memories, I wonder constantly if I am damaging them in any way. I love them with everything, but was I being too indulgent in giving them treats and toys and giving into their whims? Was I being overly strict by denying them their childhood desires for more time to play and more of me? Was I being neglectful by working so much and leaving them with daycares and babysitters and family members? The thoughts are constant and the self-doubt seems to know no end. The only thing my culture ever taught me about motherhood was that motherhood came naturally once you had children. You were supposed to learn everything by instinct. Nobody prepared me for the level of self-doubt I experienced as a mom. I thought something was wrong with me when I had the desire to have a break from the work of mothering my children. Good mothers did not need a break from their own kids, did they? One of my great desires when I became a mom was to be a homeschool parent. I had no information and no local resources, but I had a deep desire to do it. When our firstborn was nearing his first birthday, I made attempts to teach him at home. At the ages of two and three, we had a free-form early preschool in our home that included many trips to the park, educational TV, and lots of books. My plan was to be an was to begin incorporating more formal lessons when he turned three, but I was not confident in my abilities to teach him. When I expressed my desire to homeschool to my husband, he told me that it would be my sole project because he would be unavailable to help. The thought of homeschooling my three-year-old while caring for his one-year-old brother and working outside of the home without my husband or anyone else contributing to any of our lessons overwhelmed me. There was no one in my immediate community who homeschooled their children. My only homeschooling friend lived several states away, and although I knew she would provide emotional support and ideas, I want someone physically present who could do the day-to-day work with me. Without the additional support, I felt ill-equipped to homeschool our kids. It was better they went to preschool with professionals who could teach them and devote the time to them. I enrolled our children in preschool when they each turn three, but my heart will wonder if I could ever get a chance to revisit homeschooling. The more I hear the experiences of other homeschooling mamas, the more it felt like I was missing out on something I deeply desired to do. I have never been unhappy with the education our children receive outside of the home. Thank God we have never had any issues with abuse or bullying from others, but I resented the lack of flexibility that came with regimented public school education. My children, were spending 10 hours of each weekday away from me because of a traditional school day. The schedule of a traditional school day meant that I left them around 7.30 a.m. and would not see them again until after 5 p.m. when I was done with my workday. I could not take them on vacation during the week because God forbid we miss school. Even when I worked from home for months at a time, we were still spending our days apart because the kids had six to eight hours of school every day. If I had the option to homeschool them and fit their education into just a couple of hours of school instruction, it would have freed us up as a family in a whole new way. Instead, it felt like I was spending my children's formative years away from them while someone else got to shape their minds during their most critical stages. No matter what, I know I had to work and earn an income to help support our family. It is important to my husband for me to contribute in this way. And after finding a job that I thoroughly enjoy, I know that work is important for me as well. But the reason I want to work is because there are goals and dreams tied to my work that will ultimately benefit my children and give us the foundation we need to have to leave a lasting legacy. But what was the goal of working hard to provide for my children if I would have to miss raising them? Homeschool seemed like my opportunity to pour everything I had to give in my role into these short few years that represent the foundation of my future relationship and bond with my kids. Without homeschooling, it feels like I am giving my children my second best and sacrificing what is best for them for the sake of making money. Our oldest son still struggles a lot when my work schedule intensifies. Whenever I work 40 hours a week or more, he becomes easily agitated, unable to manage his emotions and more reports of unacceptable behavior at school. He seems to thrive best when I am the most available to spend quality time with him and provide a steady routine that has me doing school pickups, morning drop-offs, and spending my after-school hours at home with him. Whenever I am unavailable to do any of the above, he will have a behavioral complaint from a teacher or caregiver. I noticed a pattern when he turned three, and it has been the same over the last two years since I started working more hours outside of our home. My husband's schedule is unforgiving. He is literally unavailable for 22 hours each workday. On the days that he does not work, his night shift schedule has his sleep patterns all out of whack so that he sleeps most of the day and stays up all night. I am the parent that provides stability and feeling like I am not as available to my children as they need me to be piles on the mom guilt. I am continuing to trust God that I will one day be in a position to homeschool or find a co-op that works perfectly for our family dynamics because I am currently not doing what I want to do. I am sure I am idealizing quite a bit of homeschooling in my mind. But I am fully aware of how hard homeschooling is. Homeschooling parents tell me the truth of the type of sacrifice it takes to educate young children while simultaneously taking care of their infant siblings. None of the horror stories have done anything to dampen the desire in my heart. The only reason I have not homeschooled is because I did not believe I could do it. And I did not want my children's education to suffer because they had a mom who had no clue what she was doing regarding their education. But like I said before, I am building up my faith and I trust God to bring me to the right situation when the time is right. We have finally concluded chapter five. That has been a journey. This is one of the longest chapters in the book. I'm glad you stuck it out with me. We will be picking up with chapter six. On our next episode, and chapter six is titled Friend Zoned. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.